0: pastor. pastored for about 30 years and uh, that was one of the songs he sang and he kept time by hitting the, the hymnal like that or snapping his fingers. And uh, I don't know if you ever had those moments, but I could hear him saying a couple of things. I could hear him keeping time during that song and at now as he's in heaven, I could just picture him, uh, his face completely turned upon Christ and then I hear him yelling at me for running in the church building. So all that being said, uh, let's, let's study God's Word together. and pray for us one more time. God, thank you so much for songs that we can sing to you. God, I thank you for musicians who you've gifted to, to lead us in worship of you, God. And as we, um, as we try and study your scripture this morning, God, will your Holy Spirit enlighten us as we continue marching through your Sermon on the Mount? God, will you continue to enlighten us and encourage us, uh, Convict us, God, so that we might be faithful to repent and to follow through in obedience, God. Um, this morning as we um, talk through things, God, that um, that you desire from us, God, help us to uh, to have a sense of seriousness about um, the things that you desire from our life, God. Thank you that we can celebrate salvation. God, thank you that it is not dependent upon me or anyone else in this room, God. Thank you that the one that it's dependent upon can sit next to you with a completed work. Completed so that we can be clothed in righteousness. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. i Got to perform a wedding last night of one of my former students, who's now a dentist. And I told him that I really appreciated him as a student, and I appreciate him as an adult. I appreciate him as a Christ follower. I don't necessarily appreciate him as a dentist uh, because of all the things and the trouble that they've caused me over over life, and will probably continue to cause me over life. But as we um, as we preached the uh, the the uh, wedding ceremony last night, I could not uh, but I didn't want to miss a moment to really share the gospel. Uh, what it means to be united. What it means to have covenant relationship. Uh, what it means to be uh, clothed in something new, uh, something pure, something holy. And so I could not waste the moment, and I had to use. Uh, it's a dentist and a dental hygienist who were being uh, married, and so I had to use dental analogies as far as uh, as far as the gospel was concerned. You know about decay. Truth decay or tooth decay and about the need for a root canal, for drilling down into the roots and then being filled with something new and then being crowned with righteousness. And uh, anyway, so this is really what we're talking about this morning, about newness of life, about walking in newness of life about life being uh, old life being removed from you and new life being uh, really transformed into you. And so with that being said, as we've been studying through the Sermon on the Mount, as we've been thinking about or trying to wrap our minds around following Christ, we have to walk differently. And we cannot walk differently unless we abide in Christ. Try and do it on your own and you will not accomplish anything. But abide in Christ and he will work through you in this newness of life that he desires, he desires of us. And so as we come to difficult topics like last week when we talk about anger and reconciliation, and then we come to a, a topic of lust and adultery and divorce, uh, these are difficult topics, topics that we see throughout our world today. I'm going to do my best to keep the message PG, thir- PG, tw- PG, not PG thirteen. I'm gonna do my best to keep it PG. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about the seriousness of sin this morning, and really get our minds wrapped around the seriousness of sin, so we see the seriousness of, of our need for a Savior, so that we understand um, the reason why he would he would desire for us to be completely different from the rest of the world. As we as we came to last week and we started talking about um, after the Beatitudes and the Beaction we really began talking about walking and what this walking or following Jesus looks like. And Jesus begins to intensify some things. Remember we talked about how uh, we love to say the tithe is 10%, which biblically it probably is. It's 10%. But Christ likes to step things up. He says, hey, the early church will not just be a 10% church. It will be a 100% church. Sell your possessions. Move in together. Uh, you know, journey through life together. Anybody want to sell their possessions and move in with us? Come on now, somebody volunteer. It's not really the way we live anymore. We go back to that 10% style of, of life. And unfortunately, as we walk, we even do that with sin. We forget that Christ removes 100% of our sins. And so in that, we should walk at 100% in newness of life. Instead of sometimes we get it backwards, which we think he's taken away, 10%, so we'll continue to walk in 90% of my old life. Christ came to remove it all. He came to give you and I a completely new life. And in that, we should begin walking in that. Uh, Several months ago, we bought a home here in Lovington. And and so in that, you know, it would be weird if we bought this new home to us but continued living somewhere else, continued living in an older home or an old home, the the home that we used to live in back in the great state of Texas. It would be awkward for us to have to commute still living in the old home uh, the old house and communing here trying to live in this newness of life. We must forget the old ways and new- live in the newness of life. One of my great mentors is his name is Vesta Blakely He served twenty five years as an i m b missionary in tanzania africa and as he came back um you know he made jokes about um how how African he is, how he dreams and and he really his first language now is swahili and and when he goes to the hospital and he has these has these moments where he's he's out of his mind, he only speaks in Swahili, and the doctors think this guy is crazy you not know, it's just his that's his language. And a few years ago, Vestal had a heart attack. And um, after, um, after getting to speak with Vestal a little bit in the hospital, I said, well, what do you think, what do you think caused this heart attack, Vestal? He's like, I know exactly what caused it. Something got, in, got into me and began to consume me. It consumed my life. It consumed my thoughts. It consumed every moment, and I could not let go of it. I continued to hold on to it. And as I held on to it, the stress, the anxiety, the thoughts, completely consumed. It devoured my entire life. And so because I would not let go of it, the Lord began to do a work in me to help me let go of it and to break my heart and literally in this sense broke his heart so that he might see the newness of life he needs to walk in, to see what he really needs to be consumed with, to see that He what he really needs to be devouring in in life. When we get to these difficult passages, I can't, can't help but think about what's consuming you. What is it that you're devouring? As you walk the, uh, the buffet line at Thanksgiving meal this week, what will, it, what will you consume your appetite with? What will you devour? Oh, I devoured that turkey and dressing, or I devoured that brisket, or I devoured that pumpkin pie, or whatever it is that you long for and you pursue and you go after. The same way Christ wants to get into our heart. He wants to break it. He wants to transform it into His likeness so that we walk in newness of life, so that we're not consumed with the things of this world any longer, but instead we're consumed with Him, that we might turn our eyes upon Him and our whole life would be fixed upon Christ. Tonight, when I uh, preach to the community at the community uh, Thanksgiving service, I'm not going to preach about Thanksgiving necessarily, I'm going to preach about Jesus. Because we can be thankful all we want, and we can say thanks all we want, and we can be a giving society all we want, but if we miss Jesus, we miss everything. So we have to preach Jesus, and we have to turn our eyes upon Christ. And with him being worthy of our our entire life, 100% of us, he's worthy of all our thoughts that we have to take captive so that he can use them. He's worthy of all our actions so that he can use them for his glory. And as we'll read in Romans chapter 6 here in a little bit, so that no longer we are used as weapons of the flesh, but instead we might be used as instruments or weapons of righteousness. So let's read together. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. It's a difficult topic. Last week as, um, as the Borgerts uh, shared with us about their work in South Africa, they, they shared about their work with broken or blended or step families. My assumption is that if we ask you this morning, how many of you are connected to a, a broken family of some sort? Maybe you have been, uh, you were raised by a step parent or you have step siblings or you yourself have uh, experienced divorce. Maybe you have, uh, you know, you're on your second or third or fourth marriage. I have an uncle who's on his sixth. You know, it's just not working. It's not working out for him. What should we do about this? These are moments and evidence of a broken world that we live in, of people living for sin instead of for their Savior. And as people who believe in Jesus, and I said something last week that I I hope that you caught, but I I said last week, you you know, sometimes we say these things and they sound really cliche or really Christian, but if you are a Christian, then you should sound Christian. When Christ asks us to be different, we should recognize that he's worthy of us being different. Verse 27 says this, these are the words of Jesus. And maybe you should remind yourself for a moment here uh, and take take a moment and ask yourself, do you believe that these words are from Jesus? Do you believe that these this is God's word? That it is perfect that it is not broken, that it is the truth, it is not lies, it's not false, but instead these are words from Jesus. And if it is, if these, if you, if you believe that these are words from Jesus and this Bible belongs to him and was sent to us by him and inspired by him, then we also believe what 2 Timothy 3 and 2 Timothy chapter 4 tell us about his scripture, that it's useful for every moment of life. Verse 27 says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. We know that this is from Exodus chapter 20. It's the seventh commandment. The seventh commandment says very simply, you shall not commit adultery. Adultery, breaking a covenant vow, breaking a relationship, breaking this covenant that you have between someone else, particularly a marriage relationship. Spend this week, your homework last week was to read Romans 7 and 8. Your homework this week is to read the the book of Hosea. And see about broken vows, about broken commitments between God and Israel, between Hosea and his wife, uh, between what what God is trying to represent here, between what a, a covenant really truly looks like. Marriage is this covenant relationship that should give evidence towards this unity that we have in Christ. A bride and a groom coming together to be one, uniting together to be one, one sacrificing the other being obedient, one sacrificing the other being obedient, obedient to this covenant relationship, this unity, this covenant relationship, relationship that that's being bonded here verse 28 says but I say to you that everyone who looks at a a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart and if your right eye causes you to sin tear it out and throw it away for it is better that you lose one of your members than than that your whole body be thrown into hell and if your right hand causes you to sin cut it off and throw it away for it is better that you lose one of your members than than for your whole body to be thrown into hell Christ really begins to talk about the severity of sin, how severe sin actually is. Your your eye caused you to sin, you you saw something and and you lusted after it, you you put your pleasure and your desires and your wants and your and your wishes towards something that's not yours. And so in that your eye caused you to sin, and so gouge it out. That's severe. Your hand has caused your the desires inside of you, you covet and you want something that's not yours, and so you begin to try and steal it. And so your hand says, let's steal it in a way. And so Christ says, cut it off so that your whole body might might not be thrown into hell. I mean, this is a a serious moment here. It's it's a, a moment where Christ is really trying to get to the heart of the matter and how severe sin actually is we listen to a uh, uh, before school at our house we listened to a, an album uh, called theology and the album is from a, a group called sovereign grace music and it's it's really kids songs but um, but every song is just uh, wrapped in scripture and uh, one of the songs is a really scary themed or kind of song or whatever uh, the the music sounds really scary like something you would hear on halloween it's a very scary song and it talks about how you know what the scariest thing of all is sin Because of the severity of it. Because of how it separates us from, separates us from God. It breaks the relationship with God. And so because of that, when we begin to understand the severity of our sin, then maybe we'll understand the seriousness of our Savior. We'll be able to understand why it costs Christ His life. Though as Stephen said and reminds us, though He's perfect without sin, yet he still stepped into our place. had a question yesterday, and I'm going to bring this up so you guys can talk about it amongst yourselves and argue and talk all you want about it. Someone asked me yesterday at the wedding about replacement theology, and maybe you're, maybe you're familiar with this, and I'm not even going to give you any kind of uh, ideas about it. But I said, are you talking about the fact that Christ has stepped into my place and replaced all my sins with his righteousness? No, that's not all I'm talking about. Well, then don't talk to me about anything else. Because all that matters for me is that Christ has stepped into my place and he's replaced my sin with his righteousness so that I might not receive the wrath of God, so that my sin may be forgiven forever. Christ goes on to say in verses 31 through 32, he says, It was also asked, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery we We know in our world today we we know the numbers of broken marriages of divorces that are happening uh, of families that are are torn into be because of because of sin basically because of selfish pride and and desires instead of instead of a life saved in walking in obedience to Christ I told Jared and Corey yesterday as, as I was was leaving their wedding ceremony, I said, when this marriage begins to get difficult, please call me so that I can point you in the direction of Christ. And Jared tried to correct me and said, you mean if. And I said, no, I mean when. Because this world is broken. And the journey is difficult. And you experience life broken every day. And we do we want we just sing it oh that we might turn our eyes upon Jesus so everything may be well we desire for things to be right well, for things to be right sin has to be no more for things to be right sin has to be no more for the wages of sin is death but the free gift from God is eternal life through Christ Jesus I want to be a part of a church that truly is the bride of Christ that sin does not reign, but instead our Savior Jesus reigns. I want to be part of a church and a community of believers that is abiding in Christ so that may others may see that God has wrath in store for sin, but He has sent His Son to save us from his own from His own wrath. Your homework was Romans 8 and 7 and 6, so turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to work backwards. The past three weeks we've talked about God fulfilling the law through His Son Jesus. Last week we talked about anger and how it often rises up and how there's a need for reconciliation and how oftentimes you've, you probably wonder why you do the things that you do and you, want, you don't want to do that. So that goes along with Romans chapter 7. And today we're talking about these, these things that consume us, these lustful desires, these things that we covet after that do not belong to us. I think it's interesting on that 10th commandment in Exodus chapter 20 when he says, uh, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Why? Because it does not belong to you. So we don't long or yearn after those things. Christ wants us as followers of him to long and to yearn and passionately pursue him to be transformed into his likeness. Romans chapter 8 We'll start there in verse 1. It says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So those of us who have placed our life in Christ Jesus now, therefore there is no condemnation. Silas gives us an example of that this morning. His life being placed in Christ. Christ replacing his old life with Christ's life and newness of life being in Silas's life. So, So therefore... There is no condemnation for Silas or for me or any of any, any of the others of you in here that have confessed Christ as Lord. Remember, verse 2 says this, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So you have been set free from sin and death. So if you've been set free to it, don't be chained to it again. And this is why Christ brings this up about walking in newness of life. That's why he says, don't lust, don't pursue, uh, put your, your passions in, and the things that consume you, put them upon Christ. Verse 3 says this, For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. The law could not do this. Weakened by flesh, it couldn't do it. So what did what did God do? By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he can he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And I know we're Baptist and we get really afraid sometimes when we say, I'm gonna walk by the Spirit, mostly because we don't know where the Spirit's going to take us. We like to be like our like our home and Christian standard Bible says, comfortable st- Comfortable Southern Baptists, the CSBs of life. We we like to be comfortable. We like to know. We like to be in control of the situation. Christ calls us to be uh, be empowered and, and living a life through him, that we might abide in him, that he might work through us. And as long as sin reigns in your life, Christ will not work through you. When Christ empties sin from your life and takes away all the decay, the death that is inside of you, and then makes you a slave to righteousness, then he uses you and you walk by the Spirit. Verse 5 says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Start tomorrow morning with your day by praying, Lord, help me not to set my mind upon the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Lord, help me not to set my mind on the things of the flesh but instead help me to set my mind upon you and your things and your spirit working through me. Verse six, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. See, oftentimes we think peace comes by uh, dropping bombs or peace comes by signing uh, papers or peace comes by offering an olive branch. Oftentimes we think that's where peace comes by. Peace only comes when sin is not reigning and life comes from Christ. And in that, when Christ gives us life, then we have peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Don't be fooled for any one moment to think that you can please God outside of His desire or outside of His law or outside of His uh, working through you. You cannot. You cannot do it on your own. I wrote on my whiteboard in my office, we live in a do or die world. You do, and if you do and do and do, you're going to die. And Christ calls us to die to self, to let him do all the work, to give us grace, to forgive us of the sin that we have, so that he might be honored and glorified, so that we might walk in in obedience to him. Verse 9 says this, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, It lives in you. It resides in you. It took up ownership of you. It dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. A few years ago, I was in uh, Burma with some missionaries, and uh, the missionary there reminded me, and I shared this, this week with a couple of people, but the, the missionary there reminded me, though we may have a lot of things in common with these people, we, we may enjoy the same food, we, we may enjoy the same uh, music, we may enjoy the same uh, sports events, we might even read some of the same books, or watch the same movies. We may have a lot in common, but do not forget we do not have the same spirit living inside of us. Christ came and invaded my life. And He now dwells in it. So because of that, I want to walk in newness of life. I want the Spirit to reign in my life and not my flesh. Turn back to Romans chapter 7. We'll uh, We'll start in verse 7. In Christ there's no condemnation. He fulfilled the law. And if He and only He can fulfill the law, we give our life to Him so that He may reign in our life. But what about the daily struggle? Come on, give me something practical, preacher. Something that I can actually live by. What about this daily struggle? These these lustful thoughts or these thoughts of coveting or these thoughts of wanting something that's not mine or these thoughts of breaking this covenant vow that I've made. What then shall we say, verse 7 says, that the law is sin by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known whats what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Verse 8 says this, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. And I once was alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. And the very commandment that promised life provided to me, provided to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Verse 13, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, then that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know, verse, 16, verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but, the, but not the ability to carry it out. We talked about sin, the, 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 the sin of anger last week, and the need for reconciliation. Now, how are you going to do this on your own? You try and do it, you're going to die. You let Christ live and reign in you. You let him be the one that takes care of the sin. Instead of you trying to cover it, and you're saved or reign in you. Move on down to verse 20, 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do the right, what I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Verse 24, wretched man that I am. See, Paul begins to recognize the sin and the severity of it. He knows what his Savior has done, but he has this battle going on in his life daily. The battle for sin not to reign, but instead for his Savior to reign in his life. We often talk about serious things. You remember if you're not now in sixth grade, but do you remember in sixth grade the seriousness of a girlfriend or boyfriend? And how serious it was when you lost that relationship. And I'm still broken by the relationship I lost in sixth grade. I mean, I'm thankful for what I have now. But I still have hurt and pain for what that sixth grade girl did to me. And the seriousness of that moment. And then you move on in life and journey through. And then you see significant moments. You recognize, wait a minute. That was just a moment. It's really not that severe. And a few years ago, I sang at a funeral. For an infant who lost life, what we call life, here on this earth. Who had no chance, it seemed like. And I sing a song called, Never Once. Never once did God walk away. Never once did he leave us alone. And in that moment, I think about the seriousness of that moment. Praise be to God that he sees the severity of our sin and gives us a way out. He gives us a way of escape in his son, Jesus. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Thanks be to God he has provided for us, Jesus who gets us out of the situation. Then go backwards, Romans chapter 6, where we are today. Lust, adultery, coveting, breaking this covenant relationship. Not walking in newness of life, but a walking according to the flesh. Paul writes in verse 1 of chapter 6, What then shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, by no means. I think about the disciples as Christ begins to intensify walking and following Him. And He says, don't. Like if you have anger, you might as well murder. That's the way I see some of those disciples taking it. Christ is saying, if we have anger, we might as well go ahead and murder somebody. And in this case, when it gets to the lust portion, he's saying, we well, he told us not to commit adultery, but now you're saying if we're lusting or, or actually uh, having an intent to, to, to take something that's not mine, I might as well go ahead and do that. Is that what you're saying, Christ? Paul clarifies, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. You're asking yourself now, like, well, what's the problem with more grace? I mean, if I sin more, then I'm going to get more grace. It defiles what Christ has done for you. It lessens the work on the cross. It lessens the completed work of Jesus. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Christ has said, recognize the severity of your sin so that you might see the seriousness of your Savior, so that you might walk in newness of life, so you might not want things that aren't belonging to you, so that Christ may reign and sin may die. Verse 9 says this, We know that Christ, being raised from the, de- from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Death no longer has dominion over him. Starting in verse 15 with me, chapter 6, and we'll end here. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Y- y- you know, uh, I know some men, as we talked just for a moment about the seriousness of lust. I know some men who live by the, um, by the attitude, and these men, I'll call them mentors of mine even, but who live by the attitude, and you've heard this, and I'm gonna offend you, and I'm sorry, uh, but who live by the attitude that you can look at the menu, but you just can't order? By no means. Recognize what sin is sin, what what sin is and how it leads to death. By no means do we live that way. Instead, we live in a way that Christ reigns in us and the Spirit works through us. And we have eyes that represent Christ and we have hands that represent Christ and we have a body that's used for His, for His service. What then are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace by no means? Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? I mean, if there was any invitation this morning, it would be this, pretty simple. Do you want to be a slave to sin or do you want to live your life in obedience to Christ and be a slave to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Verse 19. For just as you once were presented, you, you presented your members as slaves to impurity or weapons to impurity, And to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your lives, your members, your your body as slaves to righteousness, leading towards to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. For, for here's really where it all comes together. For the wages of sin or the paycheck that you and I should get is death. Can you imagine for a moment working really hard and then payday comes and you open up your envelope that has your paycheck in it, or maybe you have direct deposit and you get on online banking and you look and, and the, the balance of your check just says, death? Well, what do you mean? I worked so hard for this. Yeah, well, this week your payment is is death. Sin leads us to that. For the wages of sin, the payment of sin is death. But the great news is this, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How do we deal with lust? How do we deal with coveting? How do we deal with adultery? How do we deal with divorce? How do we deal with these moments? As I asked Jared and Corey, will you draw a line? Will you say, when we pass over this line, when you make this mistake, or I make this mistake, divorce is going to enter into our marriage? Will you draw this line? Christ says, don't let sin reign. Let the Savior reign. There's a free gift. It's called grace. It's called forgiveness. It happens through Jesus Christ and only through Jesus Christ. And because of what He's done for us, we live every moment for Him. We allow Him to consume us. We let Him be our passion, our desire. We yearn only for Him. Maybe your prayer would be this week. God, as I walk, I have such a desire to walk in newness of life. Not because of something I did when I was seven seven, or ten, because you are worthy of this moment today. And as I handle every situation that comes my way, God, help me not to handle it in a way of flesh, but instead help me walk by the Spirit, living according to your truth, not being a slave to sin, but being a slave to righteousness. Because you have set me free and I'm free indeed. And no longer do I want to be chained to sin again. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this morning. And I pray that you would continue a work in us. I'm trusting that you're speaking through your. Work.